You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. But tonight I want to go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And in your Bible, most likely, this is a parenthetical statement. In the English version here, it's a parenthetical statement. And so the apostle is writing... And in this, he is making an explanation, or he's putting in here a parenthetical statement, a principle to let us know. And I want to just lift this. We're familiar with it. But in verse number 7, he says this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Read that with me. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. This is imperative. This is important. This is critical. That we understand this life walking by faith. As a believer in Christ, we are called to walk by faith. And yet, when we come to the Lord and we give our life to the Lord, and we we think everything's okay, and uh, God resets our life and blesses us, And then we get out on the road and we hit some bumps and some potholes in life. And sometimes we're set back and we wonder, am I on the right road? Is this all right tonight? And we question, have you ever questioned, is this really the right thing? Is this really the best way? Am I really where God wants me to be? And I want to encourage somebody tonight if I can. This is a simple message, nothing profound. But we walk by faith, not by sight. Lay your Bibles down. Let's ask the Lord to have his way. God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this evening that we can gather together again. Thank you for those that have come hungry to the house of the Lord. And I pray that you would not leave us, God, wanting. But Lord, you know right now what we have need of in the spirit and in the word. And I pray that your spirit would have liberty to minister to every heart, to every home, to every father, every mother, every life, every child that's here tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said in Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Amen. In the name of the Lord. Thank you for being faithful to the house of the Lord. Thank you for being here tonight as well. This was a big week for us around the Romine household because now nothing seems to be beyond the reach of Luca. And so while we celebrate and all the wonderful moments he now can totally wipe everything off of the top of mom's dresser. And uh, he now is reaching for heights that he did not heretofore ever try to attain to. And uh, he's climbing up on stuff. So pray for us, if you will. But actually, when he walks, it's the best because he's not really good at it yet. And he's still learning, and so we just encourage him, because as long as he's focusing on walking, he stays out of trouble. And he walks very slow, and he takes a step, and he wobbles, and he looks for affirmation, and then he takes that other step. And uh, we, we've, we've figured out that if he's barefoot, he can go faster, but if we put socks on him, it slows him down. And I am not a mean parent, I am a practical parent. You put shoes on him and it slows him down yet a little bit more. He can't grip the carpet with his toes. 
and uh, you can hear the little patter of his feet. And it takes him a long time to walk from the bedroom through the hallway into the living room into the kitchen. And so you just keep encouraging him, and you know he's staying out of trouble. As long as he's walking, he's okay. There's a principle in there tonight, I think, for us as Christians as believers, as long as we are walking, usually it keeps us out of trouble. Nobody's going to help me preach on Sunday night. And we're not all as great at walking as we would like to think that we are. But sometimes in our spiritual life, it is like a child who is learning to take his first steps. And we do so many times in the spirit, if you will, take a step and look to our Heavenly Father for yet words of affirmation, words of direction, words of instruction. But if we will just keep our heart focused on walking, our lives would be so much better. The problem comes when we sit down. The problem comes when we get weary, when we get tired, and we dispense with the forward progress in the spiritual realm, and we began to delve in other things. Just keep Walking. There's a reason why the apostle didn't say that we stand in faith, not by sight. He said we walk by faith and not by sight. Because if we try to walk by sight, there will be things that we look out and say, surely this is not God's will for me. Surely this is not what God has designed for me. But if we walk by faith, we know the one whom has commissioned us. And in spite of things that we do not understand, herein lies the truth that I will attempt to deliver tonight. We know that in the end, Christ will reveal himself to us and he will glorify himself through us. We will be better for trusting in him. The old song says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." You don't just happen on that perspective. But Paul said this, "'In whatsoever state I am in, I have learned to be content.'" Somebody say, "'Learned.'" That means he didn't always possess it. He didn't always have contentment in his heart. There were times in life where Paul was saying, God, I'm not happy about this. But Paul says, I have learned to be content. Because why? God is going to provide. God is all in all. This life is really nothing more than a pile of vanities. And only what we do for Christ will last. And so it is with that perspective that the author could pen the song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" Amen. It's not that the unknown has a pleasantness about it. No, I don't like the unknown. You don't like the unknown. But it is the surety and the confidence of trusting in a God who is greater than the unknown, who sees beyond the unknown and his constant faithfulness. He's never failed me. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. And I know every time that he's going to lead me through. He's going to bring me out. He's my provider and my sustainer. It's with that that we come to this point of trust in Christ. Trust in God because he's been faithful before. I know he will do it again. We walk by faith and not by sight. 
I preached this morning from the book of John chapter number 8. And in that I told the testimony or the story that John tells one which is not included in any of the other gospels of the woman taken in the very act of adultery. And she's brought before Christ. And there the accusers, the scribes and the Pharisees sought to accuse Jesus. They sought because they could not arrest him. They sought to entrap him, to disenfranchise him with the multitudes, to discredit him. And so they bring a woman caught in the very act of adultery, so the, the, the Bible says, and they confront him with the reality of the law. You know, as you were here, you heard this morning that what they thought they were going to do was disenfranchise Christ from the multitude. They thought that they were going to eat into his influence and send some people home. They were right that day about somebody going home, but they got it wrong. Who? Because Jesus Christ was the author of the law and just as the finger had etched the law in the tables of stone upon Mount Sinai, not once but twice, so Christ was also get down on his knees and right in the dust of the ground, not once but twice, and he would not expose or expel the law, but he would expel the accusers. Then he would leave her without condemnation. And grace would reign great that day when he would empower her to a life of purity. A life without sin. A life without transgression. One which is summed up in these words, go and sin no more. I've taken care of your accusers. There is no condemnation. Now go and sin no more. He empowers this woman that is literally standing on death row and now he empowers her to a life that is greater than the one that she has experienced and immediately after this scene plays out when she has been set free of her accusers when she has had provision that qualifies legally for the atonement of the law and yet he empowers her to a new life in Christ go and sin no more Christ takes this moment and he turns to the crowd and he begins to teach them and he says this he says Uh, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He lets the scene play out, and then he begins to teach us (laughs) the power that he is the light. And he said, whosoever follows after me will not enter into darkness, but shall have The light of life. It's not an accident that John throws this in there this way. It's not an accident that he puts this story in here. Because if we would flip back to a few chapters in your your Bible, in the Gospel of John, if we would go back to this segment where John is writing, John is doing this constantly. He is giving us a scenario that plays out before Christ. And immediately after that, he then is teaching us a principle. That is Christ is teaching Us or them a principle. Go back to John chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, but let me reference it. 
In John chapter 5, there's a man that lays at the pool of Bethesda. He is impotent. He is lame. He is unable to walk. He has been rendered the purpose, the creative purpose that God has put in him has been rendered ineffective. It has been rendered useless. And so Christ comes by and he calls this lame man and he heals him on the Sabbath day. And after he heals him specifically on the Sabbath day, they, they come to him and Christ now uses this healing on a Sabbath day to begin to teach them the principle that he is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not made, amen, or, or man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath rather was made for man. And he begins to teach them about the Lord of the Sabbath. He takes a scenario and he allows it to play out intentionally and then he begins to teach on it. John was highlighting this, this, this story that's not included in any of the Gospels. Then you go to the next chapter and in the next chapter we come to chapter number 6 where Jesus is teaching the multitude. And the Bible says that there's about 5,000 men plus women and children. And he takes there in the heat of the day when they are worried about the people not making it back into town. And, and worried about them passing out because they don't have food. And he takes a little boy's lunch. And he breaks it and he multiplies and he takes the loaves of bread and he blesses them and he breaks them and he feeds some 5,000 plus people. And now that he's got a captive audience and he has just fed them literal bread, he takes the moment to begin to teach them that he is the bread Hallelujah. of life. Yeah. He walks them through an experience and then he begins to reveal a truth and teach them about something. He is the bread of life. And you can't just live off the bread, the physical bread, but you need a spiritual bread. Amen. He begins to give them this truth just as they physically hunger for that bread, just as they are strengthened, just as they are nourished, just as they are sustained physically. He's letting them know that I am the one who will sustain you spiritually. I am the one who will make your soul to last for everlasting. And then John continues on. He goes to chapter number 7. And in chapter number 7, Jesus is standing. And it's the feast. It's time to go to Jerusalem for the feast. And Christ says, I will not go publicly. He refuses to go publicly, secretly, after his apostles have gone on. Christ goes in secretly without them knowing, without a crowd, without a fanfare. Christ was refusing to go in and to be glorified, to be praised, to be worshipped ahead of time. But he waits until the last day of the feast. That's the context. He waits until the last day of the feast to let them know that there will be a great future. Future manifestation, not just in him, but in his believers. And when it's manifested in them, he tells them it will be as rivers of living water flowing out of your belly. 
He teaches his disciples. He lets them know. No, now I cannot go up and be glorified. They're saying, Lord, come on. You are the Lord of everything. You ought to come. This feast is all about you. And the Lord says, no, it's not my time yet to be glorified. But uniquely on the last day, he lets them know that there is a glorification coming. Where the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, me, I will come and be glorified, not here. But I will be glorified in every believer. He walks them through an experience. Then he teaches them a principle and a lesson. And then we get to chapter number 8 where the disciples are gathered around. And the Pharisees bring the adulterous woman. And here is yet another chance to show them the power of the grace of God. And he goes through that whole thing. And then he begins to teach them, I am the light of the world. I have come to change where you're at. I've come to change the darkness that you know and to turn it into light. But the only way that it will happen in your life is that you have to follow me and not walk in darkness. You have to come to me. Without me, you're left with accusers. Without me, you cannot overcome the law. But through me, I am the light of the world. I can take care of your accusers. I can satisfy the law. I can empower you to a life of holiness. You see what John does there? He puts together in his gospel. He's putting together stories that play out. And then at the end, everybody say the end. Then Christ begins to teach us some things. Wait a minute. Maybe there's a principle here. What's going on? What's the bigger picture? What is John trying to say? What, what is really happening here? And here's what I would like to share with you tonight in this very simple message. That Christ did not come just to speak at us. Christ did not come just merely to teach us. Just to talk to us with words, just to say things. Because if you just come and somebody just says something to you, it doesn't really solidify itself inside of your mind. But Christ comes to walk us through a situation. And sometimes he walks us through the situation before he's ever given us the answer. And before he's ever told us the truth, and before the revelation has ever come, Christ comes and he grabs us and he says, all right, walk with me a little while. And so he takes us and, and, and we're going down a path. Lord, this doesn't look good. I don't understand what's going on. Here we are and we're out in the desert. Why are you bringing us out in the desert? Don't you know that there's 5,000 people? They don't have food and we walk a little bit longer with Christ. And we go on a little bit more until we get to a place where now... Now you've done it, Lord. Isn't that what the apostles said? Now you've done it, Lord. They can't even make it back home without fainting along the way. They can't even make it back without some falling over. What are we going to do? We can't, we can't get dominoes out here quick enough. The people, are, the people are sitting and they're looking around and thinking, man, in everything that Jesus had done, you think he'd been smart enough. Not to walk 5,000 people out here in the wilderness and to leave them here. But Christ knew what he was doing all along, and he was coming to teach them a greater principle. And then he says, sit down. And they sit down. Now they could have complained and said, Lord, I don't want to be here. I don't think this is safe. I don't think this is good. But sit down. He feeds them physically, and then he begins to teach them a principle. 
and says, I am the bread of life. I'm going to tell you, when they went home that day, they never forgot the message. If he would have stood by the market side, if he would have caught them on their front porch, if he would have caught them at the bus stop and said, hey, I am the bread of life, it wouldn't have meant nothing. It wouldn't have meant much. It would have passed right through them. They would have heard it, but they would have forgot it the next morning. But now, here we are some 2,000 years removed, and we're still talking about what Christ did on that day. Thank God that he took some of us out into a desert place where we needed an answer so he could reveal himself and teach something to us. See, we walk by faith and not by sight. Here's what I'm trying to say today is sometimes living for God doesn't make sense. Can I borrow you today? Can you, can you come up here and help me? Brother Zach, sometimes living for God doesn't make sense. We can argue with God and say, God, I, 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 don't, I don't think this is going to work. I don't think you're doing things right. His old, his old friend named Lazarus lived in Bethany, had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus was summoned because Lazarus was sick. There was a problem. Lazarus was sick, and so he, he summoned to come and to take care of him, but he stalls. He goes through Samaria, and it doesn't seem like it's worth doing anything, Lord. You're, you're, you're missing the moment. You're going to miss it here. And Lazarus dies. And so you can sit down here. You don't have to lay down, but you can just sit down. Just pass out a little bit. You pass out a little bit. You just lay your head back. There you go. He's out. Now, Mary and Martha weren't happy with this. In fact, they were so upset when Christ comes. They come crying and say, he's dead. He's gone. They missed the moment. Jesus, you missed the moment. But no, Christ knew exactly what was going on. And he wanted to teach them a more powerful principle. If he would have told them, it wouldn't have meant much. If he would have said, hey, I am the resurrection, they wouldn't have got it. But oh, if one would be buried, wrapped in grave clothes, sealed behind it, tomb and then he shows up he says roll away the stone and Martha said no no Lord you don't understand he's already been in there four days by this time he doesn't smell too good Lord he stinks you come too late you cannot see him he said you don't get the point roll away the stone and when they rolled away the stone he says Lazarus come forth and the Bible says that Lazarus came forth and then he lets them know hey I am the resurrection and I am the life wow they'll never forget get we're walking by faith and not by sight we're walking by faith and not by sight there was another one come on sister Allie come on up here you did so well tonight there was another one I don't know if there was any women in the boat but I, I doubt there was any women in the boat but we'll just pretend I don't know and they were going across Galilee and when they came across Galilee all of a sudden a storm come out of nowhere here was men on that boat fishermen experts that understood all of these things and yet this tempest was so great that they feared for their life men that had grown up as boys on the water now they're fearing for their life. And so here they are in the middle of the storm. And, and, and you're in the boat. And you're rocked about by all these winds and all these waves and unsteady. And you're thinking it's gone. It's a lost cause. I lived all my life and it's gone. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And Peter, who was raised as a fisherman from the time up, he ain't never seen anything like this. He looks out and says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And he comes. And when he comes, he falls. You know that. But Christ picks him up. And together they walk back in the boat in the middle of the storm. And after he gets in the boat... 
He says, peace, be still. He had to take them through the storm so that they knew he was a peace speaker. He could have told them, but they would have never known. He could have said it, but it would have passed in one ear and out the other. But he was walking them through the storm to let them know something. Can I tell you the reason why we walk by faith and not by sight? It's because if we're walking by sight and we're following after the Lord, we would second guess God too many times. We would challenge God and say, God, I don't think this is right. Lord, I think you're getting some things wrong. God, you don't understand, Lord, what the doctor's report is saying. Oh, anybody hear me tonight? You don't understand how my bank account looks tonight, God. You don't understand what's going on in my broken heart. But if we'll just keep walking by faith, hallelujah, I know a peace speaker that can take you through a storm. I know a provider that can make a way. I know a God that can recall dead things back to life. I know a God that can open blinded eyes. I know a God that can put money in a fish's mouth. Oh, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can I just preach a little bit tonight? Sometimes he lets your prayers and your desires lay on an altar for 14 years before he answers them just so that he could prove, hey, it doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter how far you go. God always hears your prayer and he knows what's going on. We walk by faith, not by sight. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. So where are you at tonight? Where am I at tonight? What road are we on? What path are we walking down right now that we would take and wave before God and say, God, I think you're missing something. (laughs) Come on, anybody ever done that? Lord, I think you're missing a detail in my life. You you don't understand, Lord, I've been faithful to church. I've been faithful to the house of God, Lord. You don't understand all these things. yet. Why is all of this stuff happening? Can I tell you, just keep walking by faith. Just keep walking by faith. Just keep on holding on. Just keep on pressing on. Just keep on believing because God may take you through something and give you a testimony to reveal himself in a way that you never knew. Amen. He's a healer. We say that and you can be seated. We say that he's a healer, but oh, until you've been sick. (laughs) And the doctors say, I don't know what's going on. Or they say, I can't do anything with this. Oh, then, then you know he's a healer. Jairus' daughter was passing away. She was sick. And along the way, Christ meets a woman with the issue of blood 14 years. Amen. And infirmity had befallen her, or 12 years rather. And infirmity had befallen her, a sickness for 12 years 
years. And the manner of this sickness, she was unclean. She was kept from the temple. She was kept from worship. This sickness was not just, so, this was not just a little headache. This was not just a little cold. This was something that affected her whole life. It affected her relationship. It affected her lifestyle. And she said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment. And when she touched the hem of his garment, the Bible says that virtue flowed through her body. And what the doctors and the physicians could not touch for 12 years in one touch, Jesus Christ did it all. Can I tell you, she didn't go home that night wondering, is he a healer? She went home testifying, hey, I met a man who was able to do in one moment what no one else could do. A blind man, no physician's ever healed a blind man. But when Christ comes by, Jesus, thou son of David. You see, God sometimes lets us walk the walk. And he lets us go through something. And when we come through that, when we make it through, he sits us down and says, now let me teach you something. Let me show you something. Oh, can I tell you, it's a wonderful thing to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I wonder if I got any old saints that have been around for a while. You've been through some things. You've fought some things. You've had some doubts. Come on. You've had some questions. You've had some wonderings. You You looked at the fork in the road. You looked, is it worth going on? But you kept on keeping on. And God showed himself faithful. Hallelujah. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. We're walking by faith and not by sight. Faith sometimes can take us to places that we don't want to go. Hear me tonight. Faith can sometimes take us to places that we don't want to go. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought when I gave my life to the Lord, God took me all the places I wanted to go. God can bless you. God can satisfy your soul. He is a blesser. There is a principle A blessing, not curse, that comes when you walk after the Lord. And I'm coming to a close if you'll come to the music, Brother Matt. But faith sometimes takes us through places. Let me say it that way. Through places you don't want to go. What would have happened if the three Hebrew boys would have decided and determined that they were going to bow? Never would have read about them. You never would have known the story. The Babylonian captivity would have continued on with just more of the children of God succumbing. But there was some faith inside of them that said, we will not bow. We will not compromise. We will not give in. We will not quit. Can I tell you, you don't have to be an old person to have great faith. Can I say that again to our young people? You don't have to wait until the hairs on your head start turning white before you have great faith. You can have great faith as a child. It was faith that took them to the fiery furnace. Compromise, hear me. Compromise and complacency would have kept them from the fiery furnace. And that is the 
That is the great deception of compromise. Because so often we think, well, if I will just, if I'll just compromise this in my life, not listen to the Lord, I can avoid a whole bunch of heartache. So simple. Come on. Yeah, I'm human just like you. Can I just be honest tonight? You go to write that tithe check, and life says, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can compromise this one time. You go to get ready for church, you say, man, I don't really feel like it. It's been a hard week. It's been a, I got a lot going on. Come on. I'm okay. I, I prayed three Sundays ago. Compromise can creep in. But we walk by faith, not by sight. And we just keep on walking. We just keep on going. The three Hebrews stand before the king, Nebuchadnezzar. They say, oh, king, we are not careful to answer. I love that. We're not taking thought. We're not careful to answer thee. We don't know what's going to happen. You may throw us in the fiery furnace. It may all be over, but God has delivered us from you. And the Bible says that they were thrown in the fire. And when they were thrown in the fire, the Bible says that the men that threw them in the fire, the heat was so hot that the men that threw them in the fire were consumed, fell over dead. And yet when they got in there, do you realize that they got to walk with God in a way that most no other Old Testament people got to walk with God? The king comes and he looks in. What does he say? Wait a minute. Were there not three we threw in there? They got to experience a revelation of God so great that the king could even see a shadow of the glory and said the fourth one looks like that of the Son of God. (laughs) We walk by faith and not by sight. And you know the beautiful thing about that story, when they pulled those three men out of the fire and said, okay, enough is enough. They've already survived it. What more can we do to punish them? They brought them out. The Bible says not one hair on their head was singed. And their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. There was no effect upon them. Can I tell you with Christ... You can walk through cancer and you can walk through poverty and you can walk through bereavement and you can walk through depression. But when he brings you out, there's no remnant. There's no effect. There's no, there's no show of testimony of what you've endured. Only the glory of God. Can I tell you that's the beautiful thing about the church that if we're not careful people are deceived because what they walk in and see is not the full story. They're seeing people that have no more effect of sin and the valleys and the world on their life. Amen. But it's not because we've never been through anything. It's because we've determined to walk by faith and not by sight. Oh hallelujah. Would you stand together with me tonight? I come to encourage somebody tonight. Keep walking. Keep walking. Sometimes it's faith that will lead you to the fiery furnace. 
Sometimes it's faith that'll lead you to a barren desert side, hungry with no way home. But if you just keep walking, God's going to provide. God's going to heal. And when he shows up, he's going to teach you something you never, never knew about him tonight. So it's like Luca walking through the living room. I don't know if he'd do it. He'd probably ruin an illustration if I put him on the spot. But he's walking around and he's, as long as he's walking, he's staying out of trouble. You got to just keep walking. Turn to somebody and tell them, keep walking. Tell them, keep walking. Don't give up. Don't quit. Now's not the time to throw in the towel. Now's not the time to finish. Now's not the time to compromise. Preaching to somebody tonight. Keep walking. As you stand, would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? God, in Jesus' name. Somebody tonight, God, needs a measure of faith. Somebody tonight needs encouragement tonight. Somebody needs to know, God, that you know exactly where they're at. Somebody needs to know that you see every tear they cry on their pillow at night. Somebody needs to know every question has already been ran through heaven's catalog. And you're waiting with an answer. Somebody needs to know, God. And it's faith sometimes that takes us where we don't want to go. But it's faith that will bring us out. Jesus' name. I want to give a special call tonight. Nobody looking around. You need an answer tonight. You need an encouraging word tonight. You need a measure of faith tonight. I don't want you to press your way out. Come down to this altar tonight. Amen. Come on. Maybe this isn't everybody here tonight. But God, I've been, I've been walking with some questions. Come on. God's telling you, stop looking at everybody around you. Stop looking at what's going on. Come on, can I tell you, the waymaker's in the house, the healer's in the house. Come on, can you press your way forward, press your way down to an altar tonight. Come on, let the provider step in for you tonight.